take the Bible and go with me back to John chapter 20. Last Sunday night we began uh, discussing doubting Thomas and doubting Christian. And so we're going to continue that tonight. Uh, Thomas is an interesting character. Some believe, as we mentioned, that he is a twin. Uh, We don't know that for sure, but Didymus, that's what it means. It means double. It means a twin. It means two. Not that there were two Thomases, but that there was Thomas and perhaps a twin brother or a twin sister. And uh, we don't know anything about, the Bible doesn't specifically mention uh, if who that twin was. It, some uh, scholars have speculated that, that the twin uh, could perhaps have also been uh, a member of the apostolic group. Uh, so we don't know that for sure. What we are sure of is that Thomas loved the Lord. Thomas was an apostle. And Thomas was absent when Jesus first appeared before the disciples. And so go back to verse 20 in John chapter, uh, verse 24 in John chapter 20. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with the apostles when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see his hands, in, uh, in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and except I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them on this particular night. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and Jesus stood in the midst. He stood smack dab right in the middle of the room and said, Peace be unto you. I often wonder if he looked right at Thomas when he said that. I don't know. Then saith he to Thomas. Now here's where we know he did address Thomas specifically. Thomas, here's what he said. Thomas, I want you to reach thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Isn't it interesting that the very words that Thomas spoke just a week before Jesus knew, Jesus uh, was, had, had full knowledge of that. And he said, Thomas, be not faithless, but be believing. And when this occurred, verse 28 says, And Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, Because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are they that have not seen, and yet they believe. So tonight, uh, I want to continue this thought about doubt. Doubting Thomas and doubting Christian. What kind of repercussions does doubt have in our lives as believers? Well, we learned two truths Last Sunday night, truth number one was that doubt is a refusal to believe the clear Word of God. Verses 25 and 27 point that out, that Thomas was being faithless. Thomas was not believing. Jesus rebuked him 
and said, listen, you, you, are, you have been faithless for far too long. Now you believe, Thomas. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, Thomas, you believe unto salvation. We believe Thomas was already saved. Thomas was already a follower of Jesus. But Thomas was having a lapse in faith. He was having a hard time coming to grips with what Jesus said was actually true. And then we learned the second truth about doubt is that doubt robs us of blessings that God intends for us to enjoy and experience. Because of his doubt, he missed being in the room. He didn't show up the week before. He, as Alexander McLaren said, was off brooding by himself, almost licking his wounds, drowning in his own sorrow and his own doubt and unbelief. And because of that, he missed being there when Jesus showed up. And I want to remind us, remember, look at the blessings that God had intended for him to experience that he missed because he was not in the right spot. He missed it because not only was he not in the right spot geographically, he wasn't in the right place mentally. He wasn't in the right place emotionally. He wasn't in the right place spiritually. And because of that, he missed out on what God had. And so tonight, I want to bring this third and final truth about doubt that we learn here in the passage. And that is this, that there's only one way doubt is really dispelled. And doubt is dispelled by the reality of Jesus' greatness. Doubt is driven away by the reality of the greatness of Jesus. Now, verse 26 says that Thomas was there a week later. Jesus enters the room. How did He enter the room? He walked right through the door or walked right through the wall. He didn't open the door, didn't have to. And Jesus' greatness is such that, brother, <laughs> no concrete wall, no barrier, no brick, no metal can keep him out of whatever he wants to enter into. <laughs> he walked right through the wall and boom, showed up right in the midst of the room. <laughs> and there's Jesus, <laughs> astounding the apostles, shocking Thomas. Standing right in front of Thomas, Jesus addresses him. And after eight days, again, his disciples were in and Thomas was with them. Then Jesus, being, then Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. It's interesting, two interesting points here. Uh, number one, Thomas was at least willing and desirous to be around the other disciples by this time. And I'm thankful for that because many times we let our doubts drive us away from even having social connection or gathering with other believers. Not just during these days of pandemic. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in our own personal lives as believers. The weaker we become in our faith, the less propensity we have to want to gather with other believers. You see, when I'm backsliding and when I tolerate sin in my life, I, I am much less prone to want to hang out with believers and want to be even close in proximity to somebody close enough to be held accountable in my life. 
Church is, is not exciting to me when I am living in doubt and when, when sin is undermining my faith and my trust in God. I'm not excited about Jesus. I'm not excited about the Word. I'm not excited about fellowship. I'm not excited about evangelism. I'm not passionate after souls. I'm not excited about the opportunities to give and to be a steward of what God has given me. I'm not a worshiper at that point. I'm a runner. I'm running away. I'm wanting to hide. I'm wanting to be like Adam and Eve when God came walking in the garden after they had committed sin. They went and hid behind the trees of the garden. You and I all know what it is to have that tendency to run and hide. And you know, Thomas could have kept running. He could have kept hiding. He could have kept blocking, stiff-arming the other believers, the other brothers, but he didn't, and I'm glad. He showed up. Can I tell you something, church? Dear Christian, dear believer, when you're struggling in your faith, when you're struggling in your life, you know one of the great places to be is in the house of the Lord with other believers. Now, hear me, church family. God forbid that you and I ever get to a point in our Christian life where we begin to take pot shots and shoot at other Christians, those who are struggling, anyone that's struggling. Let's put away our BB guns and our pellet guns. And it's so easy, isn't it, to stand aloof and to uh, put somebody in our crosshairs and take little shots at them. Oh, may God help me. May God help us. I'm glad these disciples weren't like that with Thomas. I'm glad when he showed up on that next Sunday night, I'm so thankful they didn't look at him and say, well, bless God, what are you doing here? <laughs> you missed last week. Where have you been? <laughs> no, they didn't. And Jesus showed up. Thomas could have stayed away. I'm glad he didn't. But then I, I noticed this as well. I noticed that Thomas was honest about his doubt. While most of us, man, we are experts at concealing our doubt, we never truly deal with our doubts. We want to camouflage and hide them and not let on to anyone like we're struggling. Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not struggling. I'm not struggling spiritually. I'm not struggling theologically. I'm not struggling philosophically. I'm not struggling emotionally. I'm not struggling maritally. I'm glad Thomas had enough grace about him and enough humility to admit, you know what, fellas, you're right. I am on the struggle bus. <laughs> When's the last time you admitted that you were on the struggle bus? That you were vulnerable. That you admitted, you know what, brothers, I need prayer. Sisters, I need prayer. I'm struggling. There are some weaknesses in my life and some sins and I'm trying to ask God and seek victory over. I need your prayers. I need God's grace. I need accountability. I need encouragement. I need counsel. I need godly advice. I need a helping hand. I need prayer. Thomas was honest about his doubts. I'm afraid most of us are too busy trying to save face instead of showing transparency and getting our questions answered and our doubts addressed. It is not 
a shame or a sin to have doubts. It's a shame and it's a sin to allow those doubts to linger and never to seek answers for those doubts. And I love what happened. Jesus showed up. It's interesting to me that Jesus starts out the greeting and the conversation by directly addressing the elephant in the room. <laughs> and that being Thomas's doubt. I want to remind us that Jesus always addresses the elephant in the room. <laughs> He's always going to deal with the most pressing issue. He's not going to gloss over it. He's not going to give anybody a pass. He's going to meet us headlong right where we are. And Jesus, Dr. Jesus, the perfect surgeon, praise the Lord, He's going to go to work on making right whatever is wrong. Mending and healing and restoring and dealing with that that is broken and out of the way. Jesus repeated back to Thomas just exactly what Thomas had said before Jesus appeared in the room. Jesus knows, dear friend, all about your doubts, all about your struggles and my struggles. And can I tell you something? He's not threatened by your doubts. He addresses the doubts if you will acknowledge the doubt and then Jesus will dispel the doubt. Jesus is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your fears, your failures, your sins, whatever obstacles stand between you and Him. Oh, dear friend, Jesus is big enough to handle that. David Guzik said that when you lack assurance, look to the wounds of Jesus. They themselves are evidence of His love evidence of His sacrifice, evidence of His victory, evidence of His resurrection. The wounds of Jesus. And friend, that's exactly where Jesus pointed Thomas's attention. Thomas, I'm here. It's me. If you don't believe it's me, son, walk over here and touch me. I have a physical body with physical wounds and physical scars. My wounds my brokenness for you, Thomas. Oh, dear friend, if you're struggling tonight, if you're doubting, if you're sinning, if you're discouraged, if you're failing in your Christian life and you have no idea where you're going to get strength or hope from, can I direct your attention tonight to the wounds of Jesus that He bore for you? There's victory there. There's life there. There's encouragement there. There's power there. And Thomas in verse 28 answered and said, after he saw the hands of Jesus, the wounds of Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. My Lord, Kyrios. My God, Theos. In the light of the resurrection, Thomas Merrill Tenney said, Thomas applied to Jesus the titles of Lord and God, both of which were titles of deity. The faith of Thomas becomes the climax of the book, one writer said. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has triumphed over sickness, 
sin, evil men, death, and sorrow. And now with Thomas, Jesus triumphs over doubt. And He can triumph over your doubt. Spurgeon said, Doubt is a seed self-sown or even sown by the devil. And it usually springs up with more than sufficient abundance. And that's why in verse 30, I love what it says. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. The ones contained here have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through His name. John 2.11 speaks of the beginning of signs. That's the first miracle. The miracle of turning the water into juice at the wedding feast of Cana. The beginning of signs. And throughout His gospel, John listed at least seven signs or miracles that brought the reader to a point of belief in Christ as the Messiah. In John 2, 1-11, we have the water into wine. John 4, uh, verses 46 through 54, the healing of the nobleman's son. In John 5, we have the healing of the pool of Bethesda. In John 6, the feeding of the multitude. In John 6, 15 through 21, Jesus walks on water. In John 9, 1 through 12, we have the healing of the man born blind. In John 11, verses 1 through 44, we have the narrative of Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead. And now here in John 20, we have the unmistakable ultimate sign that dispels all doubt. We have the physical resurrection, the physical presence of the resurrected Christ. Now I want to ask you something as we close tonight. Did this really alleviate Thomas's doubt? Well... Thomas is widely recognized as the patron saint of India. You know why he's recognized as the patron saint of India? Because Christ's presence dispelled Thomas's doubt. Thomas made his way to India in A.D. 52 to preach the gospel to the Indian people. Church history states that Thomas was martyred there in India some 20 years after he arrived. He was... saw scores of Indians converted and baptized. And numerous churches started. What transformed Doubting Thomas into declaring Thomas and disciple-making Thomas? What turned skeptical Thomas into sold-out Thomas? What took in hiding Thomas and made him on fire, Thomas? Oh, dear friend, it's the same one who transforms our doubt. It was the undeniable fact and the reality of the unequaled greatness of Jesus. And if He could defeat death, hell, and the grave, oh, friend, He can defeat anything. And He is infinitely trustworthy. So here's the takeaway. Three statements as we close and get ready to pray. 
Number one, let the Holy Spirit call out the areas of doubt in your life. Will you let the Holy Spirit do that just now? Right now, let Him work. Let Him speak. Let Him deal specifically. Number two, make the choice to believe God fully and take Him at His word. Everything He says, we're going to trust Him. We're going with Him. What God says. And number three, starve your doubts and feed your faith. Starve your doubts and feed your faith. Romans 10, 17 says that true genuine faith comes and is increased by hearing the Word. You see, the Word is a doubt crusher. The Word is a faith builder. So tonight, recommit to getting more intentionally into the Word in private, in prayer, and in corporate learning opportunities that God through the local church has presented before us. And that's how we go from being doubting Christian to as Thomas did, he helped turn the world upside down in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, I ask You in Jesus' name to help us to starve our doubts and drown our doubts in the pure crystal water of Your Word and Your truth. Use us this week to make a difference for the kingdom. Thank You, Lord, for Your presence and how precious You are to us. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.